I got lots of grief last week for, um, for praying that you had a miserable week, so I did not pray that this week, all right? I, I prayed that you'd be hungry, but that you'd have a great week, so was it a better week this week? Uh, not really. You're like, nope. Nope, still, still really hungry. I hope you're hungry, but I hope, I hope you had a great week. Uh, and guys, seriously, sign up for Forge. You're going, right? You better be. All right. And young men, uh, students, uh, any student, 6th through 12th grade that wants to go, it only costs you 20 bucks to go for the whole weekend because somebody has stepped up and scholarship all of you. And that is awesome. So, yeah, give the Lord a hand. That's so cool. So, Forge is coming. We're only a couple weeks away from that. But we are in the middle. Matter of fact, we have one week left of 21 days of fasting and prayer, right? I hope you are fasting and praying with us. Uh, I really, really, really do. Because we are saying, we are like drawing a line in the sand at the beginning of this year going, huh, devil, this is not your year. Anybody? That's right. This is the year of our Lord, 2023. And our God is on the move, and he is doing amazing things, and we don't want to miss it, right? That's right. So we're saying open our spiritual eyes. Make us hungry for the things of you. We are setting some things aside so that we will have an appetite for spiritual things. We'll be hungry spiritually, right? Oh, come on, right? All right. Now, I'm preaching better than you're amening, so come on. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Uh, no, I am so stoked about this week I, or this year. It's going to be such a good, good year as we set things aside, put some things aside that are spoiling our appetite for the things of God. Right? That's right. Because we want to be hungry for him. Uh, I just believe that is the plan. That is what he desires for us. Last week, if you weren't here, go back, check out the last couple of weeks. Uh, and today will make a whole lot more sense. Last week, we talked about a bunch of benefits and really what fasting does for us and what it can do through us, right? Uh, and, and we in our culture, we don't put a lot of weight on this thing of fasting, but here's what I know. Around the globe, those places that are having amazing encounters with the living Jesus, it is happening as people fast and pray. And I just want that for us. Amen. I do. And I hope you want that for you. For God just to show up and blow all of our minds, wouldn't that be awesome? I just, I really am praying for, for that. All right? The scripture's really clear. There are some things that will never happen in our lives except through prayer and fasting. Amen. There are lies of the enemy that will not be exposed, things that will not, strongholds that will not be broken off any other way except through prayer and what? Fasting. fasting. Prayer and fasting. And so that's what we are doing. Now I'm going to give you a couple of one-liners that I think are so true, and then we're going to see how those play out in a story uh, in the Old Testament that's like one of my favorite. All right? So... Um, these are not original one-liners to me. They're one-liners that I found as I have been digging for, Lord, show me some fresh things about fasting, all right? So I hope this helps you. Are y'all ready? You got your notes? Write this down. Write this down. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah, you'll have to. We always do this. It's kind of a dance we do. All right. Fasting is a hunger strike against hell. I like that one. 
Fasting is a hunger strike against hell. It's like, devil, not today. Come on. Right? That, that fasting is a hunger strike against hell. All right? Write this one down. Are y'all awake? Are y'all good? All right. All right. Um, write this one down. Fasting is a vertical solution to our horizontal problems. Isn't that good? How many of you know, we got problems that run this way. Oh, come on. Right? We got people problems. We got money problems. We got government problems. We got problems on problems. And the problems are all horizontal. They're all, they all go this way. <laughs> right? But isn't it awesome? As we fast and pray, the solution for these problems are found this way. Come on. Right? They're found this way. And that has been proven for about 6,000 years worth of history. That that is true. All right, write this down. This happens for me every time I fast. Fasting recalibrates our purpose. Fasting brings us back to the things that are the most important. Come on. It reminds us of what really is important and what is is not that important. Because how many of you know, in the culture we live in, it's easy to drift? Right? You get that little two degrees off center, two degrees from here to the back of the room, I'm still going to be able to talk to you. Two degrees from here to LA, yeah, not so much. Right? So in the long haul, two degrees makes a big difference. And fasting and prayer recenters us. It brings us back, recalibrates, kind of like I used to hate GPS when I knew more than it did. Come on. I know better than it does. And so it was constantly going, recalibrating, 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 right? Right? It's like, and really what it's saying, dummy, I'm having to fix your mistakes. Come on, right? I mean, I mean, but fasting really helps recalibrate. I do want to say this because we got people, lots of us, maybe you've never fasted before. And you're like, what is, what is fasting? What does that look like? I'm going to give you very, very briefly um, that fasting really is about setting things aside to pursue something else. That's fasting, okay? So fasting... Um, in the Bible, always was connected to food. Always. Always. Biblical fasting is food fasting. All right? It's not dieting. It is fasting because it's not just doing without. It's pursuing something bigger, something better. Okay? So, it is uh, in the Bible. There's lots of different types of fast. There was sun up to sundown fast. Where as long as the sun was in the sky, you did not eat. Uh, all right? There, there's, I, I encourage some one meal a day fast where you set aside lunchtime and you pursue him during your lunch instead of eating. Um, maybe you're fasting one day a week, all day, 24 hours. Maybe you're doing the Daniel fast. And the Daniel fast was where Daniel set aside and all he ate was fruits vegetables, beans, and he drank water, no other, no other liquids. Uh, whatever your fast is, set it aside. Now, I've challenged us to fast some food and to fast a pleasure, whether that's something on your phone, scrolling, a hobby, whatever it is, to fast some of those things that may be uh, satisfying our hunger with some junk food and we never get into the real food. Does that make sense? Yes. Are y'all still here? All right. All right. So some are like, so why are you talking so much about fasting? Because Jesus did. That's right. <laughs> he talked about fasting a lot more than we do in our culture. It was a big Big deal. Matter of fact, one place he talks about it is in Matthew 6, 
And uh, he actually gives three things in Matthew chapter 6 that are not negotiable. Matter of fact, he doesn't say, if you do these things as a follower, these are the three wins. The three wins. Everybody say three wins. Not three win, right? But when. Not if, but when you do these things. As a follower of God, he just expects it. As a follower, there's three things that you should do. And here's what he says. When you give, Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. When you give. Not if. Everybody say when. When you give. And then in verse 5, just a few verses later, he says, when you pray, not if you pray, but when it's expected. And then in verse 16, he says, when you what? Have you ever thought about fasting being in the same category as giving and prayer? What that tells me is he expects us to do those things often. Not once a year, not twice a year, but often, when you do it, when you do these things. And here's why. When we do those things, uh, the supernatural happens. It happens. It really, really happens. All right, so today... We're going to look at a story that uh, we have looked at before, but as I was digging this out, trying to go, you know what, I really want to give an example of how this works in real life, in real situations, that someone found an amazing victory, and I found this guy that I just love that was so us in so many ways. He wasn't a perfect guy, but he was a guy that loved God, just didn't do it right all the time. And uh, it, his, his story is actually in Second Chronicles, um, and his name was Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. How would you like that name? Try to write that in the first grade, <laughs> right? <laughs> Jehoshaphat. Uh, I'm sure he got made fun of. I'm just saying. I don't know. Um, but the story of Jehoshaphat, I feel like, is right in line with us and really where we are. Now, Jehoshaphat was a really young guy when he became king. Uh, matter of fact, he was about 16 years old when he became king. Uh, he didn't have a clue what he was doing, obviously, and he even shows that in some ways. Um, but Jehoshaphat... Um, finds him place, himself in a place where at this time in history, his army was about 1.8 million marching soldiers. Pretty decent army, uh, all right? Almost 2 million marching soldiers in his army. And at this particular time, he finds out that there are three countries that have allied themselves together and are coming to attack Jerusalem, all right? And, and these guys, these three countries are, are coming, they're on their way, um, and instead of thinking, oh, we got this, instead of thinking, man, I've got a million and 800,000 soldiers, we got this. We got this. It's not going to be a problem. We're strong enough. Instead, you read that he humbles himself and he actually calls the entire nation to fast and pray. Can I just tell you, when the king says, this is bad. When he humbles himself and says, we don't have this. We don't know what to do here. I need the entire nation to fast and pray. 
Everybody says, okay, this is not good. We better fast and pray. Can you imagine in our nation if our leaders said, guess what? This is bad. We better fast and pray. All of us would go, oh, okay. We probably should fast and pray, right? Come on, right? I mean, this is a big deal, all right? But he could have said, oh, look at my army. We have never been beaten. That would have been a lie, right? But we are strong enough. You know what I think sometimes our problem is? We are just smart enough and just strong enough to be our worst enemies. Right? We're just smart enough and just strong enough that we could go, ha, I got this. I can handle this. I mean, look, look, I, I'm smart, I'm, I'm whatever. No, I've got this. Matter of fact, he could so easily look back in history and go, ah, we're God's kids. We can't fail. But if he really looked back in history, he would have seen that would have been a lie. Because God's kids did fail when they got arrogant about who they were. Come on. When they said, ah, look, it's because of what I'm doing that we're winning. Right? And then God would let them go get drug off to Babylon or wherever, right? I mean, that's what would, that's what would happen. And, and because also, remember, we talked about this. Fasting and prayer works against our pride. Our, our thinking of we got this. So he was smart enough to know I don't have this. Now, like I said, if you read the whole story of Jehoshaphat, you'll see he was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect king. Matter of fact, you'll see that he loved God but he often listened and hung out with ungodly people. And when he would make the ungodly his closest advisors, he always got in trouble. He always got in trouble. It kind of reminds me of a proverb. In Proverbs, it says that the, those, those that hang out with the wise become wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. If you want to be wise, hang out with wise people. If you want to be a fool, hang out with foolish people. Come on, right? Right? I, I mean, I see it all the time. Here's the deal. If you as a couple spend all your time with couples that all they do is treat each other like crap, guess what? It won't be long your good marriage going to look like that. I'm just telling you, that's what's going to happen, you know? I, I, I just know I've watched it over and over and over. Matter of fact, Here's what you've heard me say this a lot. I just threw this in there. I don't know who this is for. This is not even part of the real message, so here you go. You show me your friends, and I'm going to show you your future. And that was very true in Jehoshaphat's life. You show me your friends, and I'll show you what your life's going to look like. I'm telling you, it's true. It happens over and over and over and over all right? And it really was proven out. Matter of fact, Jehoshaphat had started listening and hanging out with people that were not godly people. And they were influencing the kingdom. And I want you to look at what God says to Jehoshaphat. It says, Jehu, the son of Nephthi, the seer, went out to meet him. And here's what he said. This is from the Lord. Why should you help the wicked and love those that hate the Lord. Why are you loving and why are you, I mean, I'm okay for you to, 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 to really like these people and to love on them, but you're listening to what they're saying. 
and their ungodliness is influencing your decisions. Why? Why are you helping the wicked and you love those? You're spending more time with those that hate the Lord. So he asked the king, because of what you have done, the Lord is very angry with you. Even so, look what God says. There is some good in you. You have removed the, the images, the ungodly images throughout the land. And you have committed yourself to seek the Lord. But you're just listening to bad influence. You're just listening. And I just wonder, remember I said that fasting helps recalibrate? I wonder if there's any of us in the room. You're listening way too much to the wrong voices. And here's the problem. You think they're the right ones. They sound smart. They sound like they know what they're talking about. Until you get alone with the Lord and he's like, what are you thinking? I see the good in you. I see that you are seeking me. But man, you've got to stop listening to all of those outside voices. Amen? So he repents. He repents. And he begins to seek the Lord with all of his heart. The rest of chapter 19, you can read it. And he is, he is seeking the Lord, and he is turned, he is seeking godly counsel, he is worshiping, he's doing all the right things. And then one day, in the beginning of chapter 20, look what happens. After this, after he had repented, after he was seeking the Lord, after this, the armies of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Mennonites, Mennonites, not Mennonites, right? Ah, sorry about that. The, and, and, and I actually, when I read it, when I read it um, at home, I was like, Mennonites, like minions or something. Anyway, I'm sorry, my brain, all right? But all these three ites, right? Everybody say it's the three ites, right? The three ites. They declared war on Jehoshaphat, all right? They declared war. Let's go to the next verse, I believe. Uh, for some reason, it's not working now. All right. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already, and just so you know, this is about 10 miles from Jerusalem. They're already about 10 miles away. Verse 3. Verse 3. Jehoshaphat was what? <laughs> How many of you know that's probably a pretty good response? He's like, they're 10 miles away. 10 miles away. He was terrified at the news. And he begged the Lord for what? For guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin what? To begin fasting. Hmm. And he goes on in verse 4. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and read verse 4. Uh, for some reason, this thing's not working, so you may have to just go with me. Uh, so the people from all the towns, everybody say all the towns, of Judah came to Jerusalem to what? Seek the Lord's help. Everybody say, seek the Lord's help. <laughs> they all came to seek the Lord's help. Like I said earlier, if all you do is go without food, that's a diet. Right? Prayer and fasting. It's seeking the Lord and fasting. So they are seeking, what are they seeking? The Lord's help. He ordered everyone, we're going to seek the Lord's help. That word seek there is actually a cool word. And it's literally like 
desperately looking for? Like some of you when you think you've lost your phone for two minutes, right? And you're in a panic, like the world's going to end if I don't find my phone, y'all, y'all, right? Right? Um, I, I mean, it is desperately looking. We got to we gotta have the Lord's help. We are desperately seeing. I get a picture again. This is my weird brain. When I was reading the definition of the word seek there, here's the picture I got. I got the picture of a really hungry dog, and you have a steak, right? You have a steak, and that dog smells that steak, and you throw it as hard as you can out in the weeds. Have you ever seen a dog try to find something like that? It's like nose to the ground, right? It's nose to the ground, and it's like, where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? Where's it at? It's kind of like that commercial, bacon, 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 bacon. Got to find the bacon, right? I mean, it's like, it's like, and they are just like, I mean, they're not going to quit until they what? Until they find it. That's the picture here. That they are gotta, 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 gotta. There is nothing more important right now. They came from all of these towns to Jerusalem and are like, okay, we gotta seek the Lord. So write that down. Next slide. Write that down. They were fasting and seeking. Seeking with all of their heart. Jesus said, seek and you will find when you seek with all your heart. Seek and you will find. Seeking. Gotta, gotta, gotta. So then verses 6 through 10 uh, and part of verse 11 is Jehoshaphat's prayer. Now hang with me, all right? This is Jehoshaphat's prayer. And he starts off praying. And and, uh, there's two thoughts about this that I have. His prayer, he starts off going, God you are awesome. God, you are great. God, you are all powerful. On the one hand, I start reading it, and it's like, go with me. Your teenager comes in and goes, Dad, you are awesome. Dad, you're the greatest dad Ever. Dad, have you been losing weight? Man, you're you working out, Dad? Man, you are looking strong. Dad, you got it going on. Dad, you are the best. And Dad is standing there, and what's Dad thinking? What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? What are you up to? So on the one hand, that's what I see. You know? It's Jehoshaphat. It's like, God, you are awesome. God, you are powerful. God, you are all-knowing God. God, you've done miracles in the past. God, you and, and, and I'm thinking God's like, okay, get to the point. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. But, but I really, the more I dig into it and I listen to the language, here's what I see. Is for all of those verses, Jehoshaphat is going, God, you are awesome. God, you have you have. You have done all of these miraculous things for our ancestors. I've heard the stories. I know how you preserve them. I know how powerful you are. Here's what I hear. It's Jehoshaphat in his prayer is preaching to himself. He's preaching. He is reminding himself of how awesome and powerful God is. And it is building his faith. Come on. It's building his faith. The more he prays, the more he reminds God of how awesome God is, the more he reminds himself of how awesome God is, right? And it starts building his faith. And the more he prays, the more his faith is built. And then in verse 12, he says this. He says, oh, our God, he gets to the punchline. Oh, our God, won't you just zap them? (laughs) Anybody ever prayed that prayer? God, just do it. 
Just zap the problem away. Just get them. God, just get them. Right? They're coming after your kids. Just get them. And then he says, this is the best prayer ever. He says, we are what? Powerless. Wait a minute. How many marching soldiers did he have? 1.8 million at least. Huh. We are powerless against the mighty army that is about to attack us. And we don't know what to do. But we are looking to you. I love the King James. It says, it says, um, we, we, are, we have no power and we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes are not focused on the problem. Hear me. Our eyes are not focused on the problem. Our eyes are not focused on how bad things are in the world around us. Can I get an amen whether you like it or not? My eyes are not focused on that. My eyes are focused on the one that can fix the problem. Come on. Man, in our culture, we spend way too much time focused on the problem, not on the solution maker. Do I need to say that again? Isn't that true? We spend way too much time. How many of you spent more time this week on your knees than you did listening to the news? <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Jehoshaphat said, guess what? All of my armies, all of my resources, all of my wisdom is nothing. I got nothing. And not only do I have nothing against this multitude, it kind of makes me wonder how many were there coming? Three countries had allied together and were coming to attack. How many million? How many million was it? Or did it just look like more than there really was? I think that's for me. Sometimes the problem just looks a lot bigger than it really is. Come on. Because we're looking at the problem, not at the God's solution. Right? So it just looks bigger. You know? I don't know how many there were coming against them. But in their eyes, they're like, we have no power. Zero. No power. 1.8 million, that's still no power. All of my great resources, no power, got nothing. And, and not only do I have nothing, I don't even know what to do with the nothing. <laughs> I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm just telling you. Some of you, you need to write this down. You need to write this down. Next slide. It says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on who? You, God, that's right. We don't know what to do. This problem, it's a big problem. It's bad. And there's some here today that what you're facing looks big. And you're here today going, I am powerless. Let me just tell you, in my world, every time that I've come to the end of me, Every time in the life of this church that I've come to the Lord and went, and it wasn't even problems. It was just, God, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do next. All of my wisdom, all of my resources, all of my great planning, I literally don't know what the next step is. And I know God in heaven grins and goes, that's what I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for you to get to the end of you. Because it's at the end of you, ah, that's where I can do something cool. Come on, right? Are y'all with me? I mean, it's like, yes. And fasting and prayer worked against his pride. <laughs> 
worked against all of those things so that Jehoshaphat came to the place where he's like, I've got nothing, God. I don't know what to do. I don't know what the next step is. God, I've got nothing. But my eyes are on you and not on the problem. My eyes are on you. I am looking to you for the answer. I, I, you got to grab that. You got to grab that. And then verse 13. Let's go to verse 13. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their what? Little ones, wives, and children. I have preached this, that this story in my life. I bet I've preached this story 50 or 100 times. I don't know. I've preached it a lot. I never noticed this. Till I started looking at it from the perspective of fasting and prayer. That fasting and prayer was the key to the victory that, that you're getting ready to see. And here's what grabbed me as I was digging this out is, is that, look at this. It wasn't just all of the men, which would have been culturally what would have been true. I think it's cool that it says that all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. With their babies, with their wives, with their children. Hmm. I was thinking about that. And here's what, I was, what, what hit me. God had the whole family fasting and praying, not just the adults. All of them were fasting and praying. All of them were setting something aside. They sought the Lord as a family. It wasn't just mom and dad. You know what, so often in our culture, the kids don't grow up with a hunger for the things of God. And great moms and dads that love God often go, why? What happened? I don't know who this is for. I know it's for me, for my, for, for my grandbabies, you know. But I really wonder, as I was thinking about that, I, I wonder, is it because we never let them see our struggles as mom and dad? I wonder if they never see us going, God, our eyes are on you. This problem is so big, I have no power. And if you don't show up, we're in trouble. And if they're not in on our weaknesses, they will never recognize the victory. When we don't sit down with our kids and go, guess what, kids? Work's not been good. And we're financially in trouble here. We need to fast and pray. We need God to show up. Kids, you noticed? Mom and dad just are not as close as we used to be. You're like, we can, we can have that? Guess what? They're not stupid. They know. They see it. You know, mom and dad are just struggling. We're just at a tough place right now. Work is tough. Juggling is tough. <laughs> Would you fast and pray with us? That God restore us. I'm telling you, if they don't see our weaknesses, our struggles, they will never see how big the victory is when it happens. They'll just know somehow it worked. 
They'll never see the mom and dad crying in the bedroom trying to seek the Lord. So they don't see the weight of what happens when God answers. That kicked my butt. (laughs) It really did. As I really looked at that. (laughs) So, they are praying. They are seeking the Lord. They are fasting even as a family. They're fasting, going, God, we don't know what to do. And then I want you to look, verse 14. Next verse. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. And then it gives his name, Jezel, and then all of his lineage. But I want you to see this. He was just a man standing there. And the Lord, as they are seeking, and I love this, the picture there in the original language is they are praying They are fasting. They're all crowded into the city of Jerusalem. Everybody's on their face seeking the Lord. We got to have an answer. We got to have an answer. God, we need you to show up. If you don't show up, we in trouble. We in trouble. We in trouble. We got to have you. We got to have you. We got to have you. And some man, and then I love it because the picture there is that it gets really quiet for a while. And they've sought the Lord Now they're going to listen for his answer. How many times do we just seek the Lord, say, God, fix it, and then we run off before he can even answer? Right? We just run away going, God, fix it, and then we don't listen. But they were standing in silence, sitting in silence, kneeling in silence, and God speaks, and he speaks through just some guy that was standing there. And the reason they mention his name is so you know, he was a real guy from the lineage, all right? And then look what this regular guy had to say. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat. He's talking to the king. This is what the Lord said. Do not be afraid. Come on, look at somebody and say, Don't be scared. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Come on. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Listen, all you people. King, listen up. Here's what God said. First, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Do you know there is 365 don't be afraids or fear nots in the scripture? There's one for every day, y'all. Don't be afraid. Fear not. I'm with you. Fear not. Right? He said, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army. Yeah, it's a big army, but I don't be discouraged. Why don't be discouraged? Because the battle is not yours, but it's whose? Ah, write that down. The battle is not yours, but God's. What if some way, supernaturally, when we fast and pray, it somehow shifts our problems to being God's problems, not our problems? This was their problem. They fasted and prayed, and God's like, ah, don't worry about it. Not your problem anymore. It's my problem. Come on. That ought to make you, like, shout or something, right? I'm like, I'm like, really? Yeah, what if fasting and prayer? Now, let let me just say this. There's some problems. They were our problems because we were stupid, right? And don't you love even some of those problems that we just created on our own? Even some of those, he's gracious to take them on himself, right? Now, some of them, he's going to let you work through, but he's going to walk with you. 
right? He is. Um, but I love this. He's like, ah, don't be discouraged. God's got this. This is not your problem. I've got this. And then it goes on in verse 16. And he says, don't worry about it. I got it. But he doesn't tell him how he's got it. And for those of us that are control freaks, that's a problem. How many times we're like, God, I believe you got this. But just tell me how you're going to do it. Right? Anybody else? God, I, I trust you, but it would be much better if you would tell me how you're going to work this thing out. Come on. Y'all being way too churchy. Right? Right? God, I'd really like, I know you got this, but how? How? Give me the plan. God didn't give him the plan. Matter of fact, all God said was, okay, here's the deal. These guys are about 10 miles away, right? They're coming. They're coming. Matter of fact, they're going to come across the Jordan, and they're going to come through this valley, and here's what I want you to do. Here's the plan. Here's all the plan I'm going to give you. I want you to go out and stand on top of a hill. And you're going to stand on top of this hill, and I don't want anybody to take a sword with them. Because the battle's not yours to fight, it's mine. So just go stand on top of a hill with no sword. And just watch what I'm going to do. <laughs> I, I was putting that in real life kind of thing. How do you convince 1.8 million marching soldiers, we're going to battle, don't take a sword. We're just going to go stand exposed on top of a hill. Bad idea. Goes against everything I've ever been taught. Right? Come on. Are y'all hearing me? You know? Just go stand on top of the hill. And we're like, okay. And God's like, and, and I'm going to take care of it. I got this. I, I got this. And everybody out there is like, well, okay, so they're 10 miles away. We're going to go stand on a hill, no sword, because you're going to be with us. And here's what hit me. At some point, we have to decide. Is this God thing real or not? Is it real or not? Are we in or are we out? Do we really trust him? And here's what I wrote down that convicted me. Do we really trust that he and his presence is really enough? When I'm going to die if he doesn't show up, is he really enough? Or, this is Victor's confession right here, or do we just trust the version of God that leaves us in control? That hurts, y'all. Do we just trust the version of God that somehow still lets us call the shots, still lets us carry the sword, still lets us have, I mean, just, just think about that. Does prayer and fasting really work or not? See, God is like, you did your part. You humbled yourself. You pointed out your weaknesses. You fasted. You prayed. You're seeking my face. Now let me do my part. Just let me do my part. And if you read on, you'll see that their response to go to the hill, stand on top of the hill, no sword, and all you're going to do is sing. Their response to that was not, okay, God, what's the real plan? 
okay, God, what's next? What do we have to do? What, what, how are you going to do this? That was not their response. Matter of fact, if you read it, their response was they had a worship service. They celebrated the God that's going to take care of this. They worshiped the all-powerful God when the only thing that had changed at this point was now the enemy is about seven miles away. The only thing that has changed in real life is that the enemy is closer to killing them. Come on, think about it. And their response was, we're just going to worship. We're going to just thank God that he's got this, even though we don't understand how. We don't understand how this is going to work, so they worship. Matter of fact, they worship so much, the scripture says, they actually placed all of the worship leaders in front of the army. And all the worship leaders led the army to the top of this hill. And then all of the worship leaders stood in front of the army on top of this hill while they're watching millions and millions come around the valley. And all we know is the scripture says that God set an ambush. That's all we know. Now, this is how Victor sees it, all right? This is definitely the Victor version, okay? The Victor version is, here's three armies that there's no other place in history that we know of that these three countries work together like this. So there's three armies that have never fought together before, right? And they are coming, and they are, they are sending out scouts. The scouts come back and say, there are millions of guys on top of the hill and none of them have a sword. Something's fishy. Something's not right. Why would this army that we've heard so much about, that's so powerful, all that, why are they not carrying a sword? Something's wrong. And I think it was either God or an angel went right down in the middle of the army in the middle and scared them. Maybe all God did was go, boom. Because <laughs> they were already nervous. They're walking in. They're thinking they're walking into an ambush. Like, what is going on? Why don't they have swords? And not only do they not have swords, God had given them a song to sing. So there's all these marching soldiers on top of a hill singing a really short song, and it was, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That was the song. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And I really believe it started out like this. All these marching soldiers going, um, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Kind of like us on Sunday morning, first song, right? Right? <laughs> That's kind of what it looks like, right? It's like, praise the Lord. I don't know if I believe this yet. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. We're standing here. This is dumb, but I'm trusting God. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. And these guys are like, praise the Lord. And all of a sudden, they look down. And for some reason, the army in the middle thinks they're getting attacked by the army behind because something scared them. And so the army in the middle starts turning around, fighting the army behind them. And you're standing on the hill going, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> for his, his mercy endures forever. And then the army in the front thinks the army in the middle is allied with the idiots on the hill. Come on. This was real. It happened. There's more than one historical account of this battle happening. Right? And so now the army in the middle is getting beat up by both ends. 
And the guys on the hill are like, well, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. And they're fighting each other and they're fighting each other. And the scripture says before the sun went down that day, there was not one left standing in the valley. They had annihilated each other. And 1.8 million marching soldiers and the worship leaders are standing on top of the hill going, praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever and ever and ever. And it was such a big thing that when it all got finished, it took 1.8 million marching soldiers three days to pick up all the treasures left in the valley. Three days of hauling gold and silver and food and armor and equipment, three days for them to pick it all up. And here's what's so amazing to me, is that the name of the valley before the battle ever started, in history, that valley that ran with blood that day was actually called the valley, in in Hebrew, it was the valley of battles. That was its name, the Valley of Battles. One place I read, they called it, they translated it as the Valley of Death. It was where lots of people had died before. It was a place where you go to die. And here's what's interesting. You go on and read it, and it's true that even to this day, from that day, That day, the Valley of Battles, the name was changed to the Valley of Baraka. And the Valley of Baraka literally means the Valley of God's Blessing. So through fasting, prayer, and worship, The valley that they thought they were going to die in became the valley they got rich in. That ought to make us jump. That ought to make us shout. And the key was prayer, fasting. It was the valley of prosperity. The valley of blessing that took them three days to carry all of the blessing out, all the treasures out. So here it all boils down to this, right? I want you to answer this question. I'm going to give you a little time to answer this question. The valley of battle becomes the valley of blessing through fasting, prayer, and Worship, you can write that down. And then, what in my life am I willing to admit that I have no power in? What's going on right now? That the enemy would want to be your valley of death. Your valley of battles. We're fighting this thing right now. It's a battle. What is it that I am willing to admit that I have no power? And not only do I have no power, I don't know what I'm going to do. What in my world? And if you can't think of anything, ask your neighbor, they'll tell you. And if they can't think of anything... You should be preaching. Right? But think about it. What in your life right now that you are like, you know what? God, I I have no power in this thing. It may be big. It may be small. I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm going to give you a moment as the worship team plays and sings. Don't sing. Just ask the Lord. 
ask the Lord, what, what is that area of my life that I am willing to admit, huh, I have no power. I don't know what to do. 